Hello and welcome to What's the Law Say, a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia. I'm Clint Adams, Legal Director at Legal Aid of West Virginia. And in this episode, we will be discussing bankruptcy with our board chairman, Andy Nason. As we always like to start every podcast, we want to remind you that Legal Aid of West Virginia is a nonprofit law firm. We provide legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. The podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information. All the information that we talk about is current at the time this podcast is published. Our guest attorneys are licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia, and this information would relate only to the law in the state of West Virginia and is provided for informational purposes only. As we noted, I'm Clint Adams, and I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Andy Nason. Andy, welcome to today's program. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, so I noted that you are the chairman of our board of directors. Aside from that, what other activities uh, do you conduct yourself in? I have been practicing law for 45 years. I started out as a staff attorney for what was then Legal Aid of Charleston. And I've been practicing with Bill Pepper since uh, May of 1981. And our office at this point primarily represents individuals in bankruptcy proceedings as well as our general practice of law. And over the last 45 years, I've probably spent uh, 45% of my time in bankruptcy court and 45% of my time uh, doing family law cases. I don't practice in the field of, of bankruptcy, Andy, but it, it's federal law and it reads very difficult to uh, to even a trained attorney. What does it take to understand some of those federal laws? Even after 45 years of practicing law, I still remember some things that I learned in law school. And I recall a professor saying after 45 years, lawyer ought to be able to sit back and think about public policy and general principles of law and come to a pretty fair, educated guess about what the law is in a specific area. That does not work in bankruptcy. Bankruptcy <laughs> is totally statutory. And there are terms of art in bankruptcy court that you would think would mean one thing, but based on the definitions in the bankruptcy code means something else. Now, let's uh, you talk about some of the term of arts. I think uh, one of the terms that we should define first is what are we talking about when we're talking about bankruptcy? As you already mentioned, bankruptcy is a federal law. A bankruptcy court ruling in New York or Alaska or Hawaii or Florida is enforceable in all 50 states. Bankruptcy does not legally wipe out an obligation. What it does is give you an affirmative defense if someone tries to collect from you. So if you receive a discharge in bankruptcy, and that's the goal in bankruptcy cases, is to get a court order saying you don't have to pay a certain debt, and a creditor attempts to collect that debt from you after the bankruptcy discharge is entered, you can go back to the bankruptcy court to ask the bankruptcy court to find the creditor violating the fresh start granted to you by your discharge order. So bankruptcy is a body of laws and there's a chapter seven, a straight bankruptcy, a chapter 11, which is uh, usually what big businesses and corporations file, but individuals can 
if more than half the debt is business debt. Um, there is now a subchapter five for small companies, which provides a more streamlined procedure. There is uh, municipal bankruptcies. There is a chapter 12 for farmers if more than half of the debt is related to uh, your farming enterprise and you make more than half of your income from farming enterprises. And then a chapter 13 also referred to as a wage earner plan, which is a reorganization of your debt structure for individuals. Now, you mentioned a number of chapters that some people would be eligible for that others weren't if you're a farmer, if you have a small business. Um, if we're talking about just an individual bankruptcy, what does it take to be eligible to be able to file a bankruptcy? Chapter seven bankruptcy is anybody who is an individual. Corporations can also file chapter sevens, partnerships, LLCs. The eligibility requirement is not um, really that complicated. Have you been a debtor um, under a chapter seven case in the last eight years? And they measure the time from filing to filing. Have you um, received or filed a chapter 13 case within the last four years? The eligibility, who can be a debtor, isn't as significant as whether or not you qualify to be a Chapter 7 debtor. And the bankruptcy code, the last major overhaul, went into effect October 15, 2005. They grafted on the IRS regulations to determine uh, how much a debtor to the IRS can afford to pay. And then they also grafted on the uh, median income test. For example, in West Virginia, you are below median income if you are an individual and your annual income based on the uh, current monthly income calculation is $56,420 or less. A household of two is $62,974. Household of three is $81,964. A household of four is $90,258 plus $9,900 for every additional household member. So let's say you're divorced and you have a 50-50 parenting plan. Some courts say you can add 0.5. Some courts say you can add one for every child. Uh, many times people file bankruptcy and all the debts in one spouse's name, but they're married or uh, they may be living with someone and you have to put in the other person who's making money into the household because you have a household of two. Those numbers that you have to be below that median income in order to qualify for a bankruptcy, is that is that correct? That allows you to qualify for the chapter seven. Even if you're above that, there's a second test that is called the means test, not M-E-A-N, uh, as in mean, mean girls, although it can have mean results, uh, where you get to deduct certain obligations from your income to see if you qualify for a Chapter 7. Even if you pass both of those two tests, if your regular reoccurring income minus your regular reoccurring expenses, 
allows you to pay a certain threshold amount over a 36 to 60 month period um, under uh, 11 U.S. Code 727, uh, you can be found to be ineligible for a Chapter 7 because you can pay something back to your creditors and be forced into the Chapter 13 or the wage earner plan. So the Chapter 7, when you talk about the means test to qualify for that, just briefly, what are a few things that you can use then to uh, spend down from that means? For example, if you have a house payment. You get it and your house payment is greater than the amount that the IRS would give you for a living expense. You can use that difference. Let's say you have a house payment and you're behind, you're in arrears. You can take one one sixtieth of the arrears and deduct it from the means test. Same thing about automobiles. The IRS Guidelines for expenses give you certain transportation expenses. And if your vehicle payment is greater than the IRS guidelines, you can deduct that. And then um, there are some individuals, for example, it's not unusual in West Virginia for a coal miner to drive 50, 60 miles to get from home to their workplace. So you may have a transportation expense that's greater than what the IRS guidelines are. So there are things like that. There are educational expenses you can deduct. And then there are certain dollars that don't go into the means test. Any dollars that come through the Social Security Administration, Social Security retirement, Social Security disability payments, but unemployment benefits are funded through the Social Security Administration. So they don't count your unemployment benefits and they also don't account uh, VA benefits into that analysis. And then that qualifies you, if you're eligible then, you can qualify for a chapter seven, which is a discharge of your debt, which means, as you stated earlier, you're not legally required to pay those debts then. And uh, lots of debtors come into the process saying, I wanna file a chapter seven because I don't wanna have to make payments for a 36 month period in a chapter 13, if you're below median income or 60 months, if you're above median income. So if you're not eligible then for the discharge, because maybe you make too much money or maybe you, you, you don't pass the means test, then you would have to file what's called a chapter 13. And in that you're calling that a, a wage payers um, plan. Um, so walk us through, what does it mean when you file a chapter 13? When you file a chapter 13, you don't get your discharge until you make all the payments. So, for example, you may be behind on your house. So in a Chapter 13, you can pay the Chapter 13 trustee who disperses payments that he receives. The Chapter 13 trustee, for every dollar the Chapter 13 trustee collects, they disperse 90 cents. The 10 cents goes to fund their office. The other thing you can do if you have a car and there's the bankruptcy code differentiates on personal property on something called the 910 rule for personal property other than things that run on wheels it's one year so let's say you have a furniture debt and you owe the um, abc furniture company $6,000, but your furniture is only worth $1,000. 
and you got that loan more than a year ago, you can cram down the secured claim to the dollar amount that that thing would sell for, and the rest of the claim then becomes unsecured, and they can get pennies on the dollar. On a motor vehicle, if the car loan is more than two and a half years old, if the you owe $50,000 on a truck, the truck's now worth $30,000, you can uh, pay the creditor $30,000 with interest, and the other 20000 becomes an unsecured loan. Now, the interest rate is not going to be the interest rate that you have on your vehicle loan. The interest rate will be the prime rate that banks lend money to consumers at. And the case that says what the interest rate is says you take the prime rate plus 1%, 2%, or 3%, depending how risky the debtor is. And if you can't reach an agreement, then the judge decides what the interest rate is. Over the last year or so, interest rates have been going up. It's not the interest rate when the judge rules on it. It's the interest rate on the day you file. And it's not the value of the vehicle when the court, because vehicles theoretically will depreciate it with every mile and every month. It's the vehicle uh, value on the date that you filed. And the value is determined what a used car lot would sell your vehicle for without spending any money to fix any blemishes or bruises. And then that's the part that that the bankruptcy court considered secured. So if you don't pay that amount, then they will take the the secured item, the, the vehicle in this situation. And then what you're saying is the excess amount that's owed would then become an unsecured debt. And then does that just get lumped in with other unsecured debts like right. credit that, cards and things of that, that nature? That goes into the unsecured pot. And depending how many dollars are in the unsecured pot will determine how many pennies they get on the dollar. And if creditors don't file a proof of claim, they don't get paid. Some cases, a lot of creditors file. In some cases, 50% or less creditors filing proofs of claim. So only the creditors that file proof of claim then would get stuck in the payback under the Chapter 13 as the debtor is making those payments, right? Right. And if you're a secured creditor and you don't file a proof of claim, you don't get paid. But when the bankruptcy case is over, you cannot collect from the debtor, but you can go after the thing and you can repossess the car or foreclose on the real estate. But you can't go after the debtor for any shortfall. And that's true in a Chapter 7 or a Chapter 13. Even if you do a discharge, then you're telling me you can keep the car, maybe you can keep the house in the right situation. Do I understand that correctly? And what's that process like? Okay, so let's first talk about a Chapter 7. In a Chapter 7, you do not have to do any special filing with regard to real estate loans with the caveat that in a chapter seven petition, one of the schedules is your statement of intentions as to whether or not you're gonna continue to pay on a debt. You cannot pay on an unsecured debt while the bankruptcy is pending, but after the case is over, if you wanna go back and pay anybody, you can. And that concept of the bankruptcy code is such a strong concept in the bankruptcy code 
that if in the 90 days before you filed, a you pay a creditor on an old debt or a creditor uses the legal process to get money from you and it exceeds a threshold dollar amount, the bankruptcy trustee can go back and get those dollars back. And if it's to an insider, mom, dad, aunt and uncle, business partner, they can go back two years without proving you were insolvent when you made the payments or go back four years if you were insolvent when you made those payments. And, and the idea behind that is the bankruptcy code outlines what the priority of the debtors are. And if you're trying to circumvent that by paying somebody in advance, then then they're trying to, to keep people from doing that. Is that right? right. Correct. Okay. Now, on a vehicle or personal property, you have to do what's called a reaffirmation agreement. So when a debtor files in a Chapter 7 and they have a motor vehicle or other personal property subject to a lien, they have three options. One option is to surrender the property. The second option is to redeem the property. To redeem the property, you have to file a request with the bankruptcy court. And if the creditor objects, the bankruptcy court will have a little hearing and make a determination what the fair market value of the couch is. And if the judge says you can redeem it for $100, you got so many days and you put it in the pleading you filed to pay them $100 cash on the barrel head and you buy it back from the creditor under the theory if the creditor repos it, that's all they're going to get. The other option is a redemption. And what a redemption is, in its simplest terms, Judge, I want to sign up and recommit myself to be ob legally obligated to pay the debt. If a debtor complies with the reaffirmation requirement by attempting to reaffirm the debt, and you got to file paperwork that's normally prepared by the creditor, part of that paperwork is, this is my income, these are my expenses, this, this is my living expense with the car loan and if that puts you into a negative number the bankruptcy judge can say i'm not going to approve this reaffirmation agreement and if the judge flaunts you and you stay current on your car loan and you have it insured if you pay it off you get the car title with the lien released and if something should happen like the engine in the car gets blown 10 months after your bankruptcy's filed, and if the judge didn't approve the reaffirmation agreement, the creditor can get the car, but you didn't reaffirm the loan, so there's no enforceable debt against the debtor. And then, so what happens if you've done this reaffirmation and you said, I want to stay on the hook for this car, this is how I get to and from work, so I need to reaffirm that debt and keep this car, and then you fall behind even after you've looked at your monthly statements, um, and it looked like going in, you was going to be able to pay that, but you find out, you know, 18 months later, you're unable to make those payments. What happens then? If the judge approves the reaffirmation agreement, it's just like you never filed bankruptcy. They repossess the, the, repossess car, the car, sell it, send you an, a notice of how much money you owe. And if you don't pay it, they can sue you.
So let's talk about now. We talk about people being sued. Let's say you're being sued by a creditor, and that's uh, putting some strain on you, and that leads you to talk with a bankruptcy attorney, and they say, "Yeah, you should probably file bankruptcy in this situation." What's going to happen with the debts where um, you're being sued from a creditor? If you are sued by a creditor, and if they get a judgment against you, they can record the judgment, and that becomes a lien all, on all property you own in the county where they've recorded the judgment with the clerk of the county commission of that county. If they do that and you file bankruptcy within 90 days, that creates a preference because the creditor has morphed from an unsecured creditor to a secured creditor. If it's more than 90 days old, in a bankruptcy, you have certain exemptions. And what an exemption is, is equity and property that you can hold separate and apart from creditors. If you don't file bankruptcy under West Virginia law, you have a homestead exemption of $5,000 in real property and $8,000 in personal property. If you file bankruptcy, you have a $35,000 exemption in real property. Husband and wife, if they both are on the title to their home would have 70,000. You have an $800 catch-all, which would get take that 70,000 to $71,600. You have a $7,500 exemption in a motor vehicle, and that's equity. So if the motor vehicle's worth $10,000 and you owe 2,500 on it, you can exempt all the equity in it. If there are two cars and two debtors, you can each take your $7,500 exemption in the car. You have an exemption of $8,000 for household items as long as no individual items worth more than $400. So if you're over exemptions for purposes of the bankruptcy code, because if you're over exemptions, the trustee has to sell your stuff, the Rule of thumb is you take 90% of the value, 10% being the cost of sale. And if you're still over by doing that and you want to keep the stuff, that's another reason why you have to file the chapter 13. So if you've been sued and the creditor has a judgment, but they haven't recorded it anywhere, they're still an unsecured creditor and you can file bankruptcy and discharge the judgment. Now, when you talked about the Chapter 13, we talked about the secure debtors and, and getting current then when you're behind on your secure debt, whether it's your house or your or your home or whatever that is. Walk me through that a little bit more. One of the schedules in your bankruptcy is the means test. That's where they take your gross income minus deductions, and it says whether or not how much money you have left to pay creditors and if it's you can pay more than six thousand dollars over 60 months they're not going to let you do a a chapter seven but for purposes of the bankruptcy code there are two schedules that they look at to determine your obligation to pay a chapter 13. one is uh, schedule i which is what you expect your income to be going forward and they take that income including your social security and VA benefits, less your tax obligation, and that gives you your net income. And then they subtract from that your projected expenses over the next 60 months. And you drive 
100 miles round trip to work, you're going to need oil changes, you're going to need tires, you have a um, house that has a 25 years on the roof on a shingle that's rated for 20 years, you're probably going to need a new roof. So that also includes um, homeowner expenses and repairs and upkeep. Um, so they take the income minus the expenses, and that's your chapter 13 payment. When we talk about reaffirming debts or even in chapter 13, are you allowed to protect your boat, your RVs, your, your motorcycles, all the toys that you have? The operative word being toys. Even in a chapter 13, a chapter 13 tra uh, trustee can say um, that um, camper isn't necessary uh, for you to keep. It's not uncommon. Gee, Judge, some people go to the beach. Um, some people go to cities and go to museums, et cetera, for their one-week vacation. My family uh, hauls our camper down to Bluestone Lake at the park there, and we camp uh, every other weekend during the summer because we can't afford hotel rooms. We can't afford to rent a place at the beach. But the more high-dollar those items are, the less likely it is. I have had debtors who have two cars and a motorcycle um, where I have convinced the judge that motorcycle is not a luxury because, and in nice weather, his motorcycle got a lot, lot more um, miles per gallon than his car did. <laughs> so it, those things then will be assessed by the trustee on a case-by-case -case basis. If the debtor and the trustee or a creditor and the and the debtor disagree on how that should be treated, ultimately the judge can make that decision. If you have $100,000 in credit cards and you're proposing five cents on the dollar because you're keeping toys that are going to cost you $600 a month, that's less likely a situation for you to keep your toys than if your toys are $200 a month and you're paying 50 or 60 cents on the dollar to unsecured creditor. Let's say you file a chapter seven and they say you're not eligible for that. Do they then transfer you over to a chapter 13 or do you have to file brand new? The bankruptcy code uh, gives a debtor permission to convert from a chapter 13 to a chapter seven or from a chapter seven to a chapter 13. So if I if I think I need to file a bankruptcy, what's that process look like? Do you just write down on a piece of paper it says I need to file bankruptcy or is there more to it than that? The West Virginia Constitution gives all West Virginians the right to have access to state courts. Same thing's true under the bankruptcy code. An individual can file their own bankruptcy case. I would not recommend that somebody file bankruptcy without first at least consulting with an attorney. Most bankruptcy practitioners do not charge people for the initial uh, conference. So you need to provide whoever's going to help you make that decision. You need a list of all your assets. You need to value all your assets, a list of all of your creditors with the dollar amount that you owe, your income and your expenses, um, your pay stubs. In addition, there's a counseling program you have to take before you file. 
most everybody does it over the internet. You can take do it by phone. And after you file in a chapter seven within 45 days of the date that you appear to have the trustee examine you in a chapter 13, you have till your payment plan is over. You have to do a second online course. And if you file without the certificate, your case will probably get dismissed. If you don't do the second certificate, you don't get your discharge order. And then there's a set of schedules that you have to file that um, are somewhere between a quarter and a half inch of paper, depending how many creditors you have and how many assets you have. Just briefly, let's say you owe someone money, but you don't remember, right? You had a, I had a credit card 10 years ago, or I had a, you know, something from some time ago, and, and I don't really know who it is, or debts get bought and sold from various creditors. Um, how do you, how do you find out who you owe money to? Go to yourfreecreditreport.com and get a copy of your credit report. I always tell people, list everybody you owe, list anybody you think you might owe. List everybody that you wake up with anxiety at three o'clock in the morning who you think might you might owe and list in everybody who they think you owe money, even though you know you don't. As long as you list the primary creditor, the debt collector doesn't obtain anything greater than the original creditor had to assign to them. So you discharge the debt. If there are seven debt collectors that have contacted you about that, you should list all of them also. And I think that gives you a good overview. And um, if you listen to this, you might want to listen to it before you go to bed if you have problems falling asleep. Um, <laughs> if it gives you a headache and your eyes roll back in your head, go to seminars, have the same reaction. But that just underscores why you need to at least talk to a lawyer. A lot of complications go into it. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you taking the time to boil that down a little bit. Um, and just kind of give us an overview. I think if someone is facing the situation, they should consult with a bankruptcy attorney. And as you noted, a number of attorneys in this particular field would offer a free consultation to just kind of talk through your options. Andy, I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate your service on our board. Thank you. It's my honor. For more information about this topic, visit our website at LegalAidWV.org. We thank you for joining us for this presentation of What's the Law Say? A presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia.